Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, I think we have a great show lined up for today. As usual, you know, we're going to start off here talking about interest rates. I don't know if you've noticed it, but interest rates are creeping up over the last couple of years. Is that good or bad? That's the question. Is it good or bad? And there's some of both. So mm-hmm. you'll want to tune into this, you know, and some things you might want to do. There's some opportunities that, that this has created over the last year or so as interest rates have crept up. So uh, you'll want to pay attention to this one. Yeah, we're going to follow that up with a, a discussion about working past 65. We we do see a lot of clients that um, would, you know, retire from their their normal, you know, 40-hour-a-week job that they've done for, you know, 30 or 40 years. And they, they do some other things. And there's some really big financial benefits to continue working in a reduced role in some type of capacity that you enjoy. And we're going to kind of dive into that and see if it makes sense for you. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen some retirees make a huge difference in their retirement picture by just just working part-time for a couple of years. So that'll be a great discussion. Um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 22 years providing uh, financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. We are Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, you can go to our website, moneymd.net. We have the uh, podcast uh, up on the website, and we also have a link to uh, the historical podcast. And we have a lot of videos that we have uh, recorded over time, so a lot of information out there that the Money Doctors have put on the website. It's really come a long way in the last, really, year, year and a half since Josh has been with us. He's done yeah. a tremendous amount of work on that fantastic mm-hmm. stuff. Um, have some tools, retirement calculators, all kind of good stuff. So exactly, check out the website. We also have a Facebook page. We put a weekly video out there. Sometimes they're more creative than others, but we always try to communicate what our prescription of the week is on Facebook. Yeah, that's right. And you can also email us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us off our website, moneymd.net. All right, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. This comes from the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And Steve, this was a a shocking statistic. Um, The student loan debt of college students has increased by nearly $1 trillion dollars over the last um, 12 years. Wow. A trillion. That's with a T. That is um, a lot. It really is. Outstanding student loan debt was about $380 billion back in 2005, um, and it's it's about $1.4 billion um, but in 2017. So it, it, it's an increase of 11% per year, and it's an epidemic. I, I really do. I met with a, um, a young lady this last week that uh, just graduated vet school. $300,000 of loans. Oh, my Vet goodness. school, pharmacist, I mean, doctors, I mean, they're coming out with three, 400000 very easily, and it's very difficult. So trying to craft a plan on that is, is challenging. It is challenging. You know, it it's really is a tragedy for our young people, I think. I mean, they have to make smarter decisions about college in terms of, you know, whether they go local, how much is reasonable to spend and take on in terms of debt, et cetera. You know, it's it's a shame. I mean, all the lottery money, you know, over the past decade hasn't really helped the cost of college. You know, at some point, I think the government may may need to regulate or to encourage competition and you know, maybe standardize, you know, um, 
acceptance of credits, you know? Yeah, I think the blame goes around a lot of different places. It really frustrates me with um, some degrees. There's just not the the jobs that support the degrees that are coming that's out. Right. And I'm not sure that's communicated properly on the front end. And if you look at psychology, to get a job, you have to have a master's in psychology to go and work. Exactly. And you're going to make thirty or $40,000 coming out. And it just doesn't, the, the math just doesn't add up. It doesn't. Architecture is kind of one of those two that I looked at, you know, and had a bunch of friends go into. And uh, you really need a master's or something, I think. And, um yeah, so you really got to do your homework and your due diligence. Um, you have to make good choices about what career you go into and, and whether it's worth the amount of money that it costs to get it. Um, maybe online is a good option mm-hmm. nowadays, but that's not cheap either. You know, you, you save the cost of, of going off to school, but I think the tuition is, is pretty similar it in is. a lot of cases. It is. So, uh, and that's where it's kind of frustrating. You would have thought competition would have driven – prices down particularly with online education but i think the the college cartels as i like to refer to them or they they fought that very successfully i think uh, you know the uh the schools that are charging those tuition rates are doing the online programs i mean i know they are so danielle's taking an online program masters at university of georgia and um there is no break no break. There is at no all. break at all compared to you know going to a physical location. So yeah, do some planning on that. If you have questions, you can certainly reach out to us. We have some some thoughts and ideas and experience in that area as well. Absolutely, but that is a very interesting fact, nonetheless. Okay, and that leads up to our first topic here about rising interest rates, good or bad, is the question. Yeah, this is an article out of Bankrate.com recently from Mark Hamrick. And, um, you know, if you haven't noticed, John, though, I mean, interest rates are going up. The Fed has hiked rates for the past three years now, once in 2015, once in 2016, and then three times in 2017. So looks like there's been five rate hikes over the past couple of years. <clears throat> and uh, the Fed is likely to continue raising the Fed funds rate again soon. And they may be ramping up that process, you know, as the economy begins to heat up. So if the Fed raises rates three or four times as predicted this year, then this is going to start to have a significant impact on how much your earnings on savings accounts and, um, you know, how much it costs to borrow money. Um, So there's going to be some good and bad effects from rising rates for investors and consumers. So the question is, which part of that equation will affect you the most what side of the equation are you on you know it's obvious when rates go up there are going to be a number of winners and losers the the winners of course will be savers people who pile dollars into bank cds or money market accounts the losers will be borrowers eventually um, because the cost of borrowing will will probably go up at some point long-term rates on the surface, you know, it's really that simple. Um, of course, when it comes to stocks and bonds and other investments, it gets a little more complicated than that. So we're going to discuss that a little bit as we go along here. Um, but healthier returns on savings, CDs, are, are, the, are only one obvious benefit from the rate-rising campaign the Fed's doing. Fortunately, there are other benefits, too. So... We're going to jump into some of these, um, some of the possible benefits that may affect you that we see from rising rates. But first, we're going to talk about the obvious one. Yeah. Savings. Yeah. The, the, the first and the obvious benefit is, you know, you're going to earn more on your savings and your checking and, and savings account at a bank. So if you are a saver, 
you know, these low interest rates have really brought about a financial equivalent of a long, long drought. I mean, it's been many, many years it since has. we had any type of uh, high interest rates for that. And any improvement, even modest, is welcome, and it certainly feels like it's long overdue. Fortunately, though, interest rates, you know, they've been creeping up over the last couple of years. We see some rates in the um, low 1%. If you go to an online bank or a money market account, so if you have a you know significant emergency fund sitting in a low or no interest savings account, um, you know there's some better options out there. Um, I came across a uh, a bank um, that was pointed out by a client that he's invested in, and it's Synchrony Bank. Okay. It's about two percent, so wow, <laughs> it's a pretty good deal. You know, yeah. I, I would say if you have significant savings, you, you could certainly look into that. But there's some other options out there as well. But um, it should be a, a benefit for savers. Yeah, absolutely. So it is time to start looking at those options. You know, if you have a lot of cash sitting around that's unproductive, um, I like to see savings go into money market accounts that will kind of automatically go up with interest rates. Um, savings accounts, they tend to stay stagnant until you demand a higher rate or, or you move it. Um, so because a lot of times they'll give you an introductory rate, but then they won't raise it, you know, when you're in there. Um so, you know, these higher rates, though, they could already be making you several hundred dollars a year um, on a significant emergency fund, but it could be double that by the end of the year if the Fed continues on their projected course of raising rates. So that's an important factor, you know, that it's time to start looking at, higher returns for your savings. So that's a good one. The next one here, though, is tamed inflation. Um, that's kind of an economic benefit, John, that most people don't really think about. But most broad-based measures of prices have indicated that inflation has been very low in recent years, averaged just 2.1% last year. Um, the central bank's target for inflation is 2%, so it's been on track for that recently. However, as the economy heats up, you can expect inflation pressures to surface with higher wages and prices across the board. I mean, we're already seeing higher gas prices as oil has rebounded to over $60 a barrel now, and housing prices have been increasing rapidly as demand has picked up for housing, as we've probably all seen. Um, so this could translate into inflation pretty quickly if the right factors kind of align. And that's why the Fed is raising interest rates to try to head off a run-up in inflation. If the Fed achieves its objective in steering the economy, inflation should remain under control, which is the main benefit from higher interest rates for our economy. However, if they act too quickly, um, then it could jump up quickly and we could have a rapid rise, um, and that would be bad for the stock market. Or if they go too slowly, we, inflation could jump up quickly. Um, so it's kind of a, a very delicate balance there, that the tightrope they're trying to walk. Um, so we'll see, you know, how that plays out here in the next year or two. But another positive inflation scenario <clears throat> after a rate increase uh, might include lower prices for imported consumer goods due to uh, a higher exchange rate for the dollar if this domestic increases aren't matched by other economies around the world. However, we haven't seen that effect yet. Yeah, that's right. And another um, item here, Steve, is is more lending. I mean, you, you know, credit bubble um, received a lot of the blame if you look back into 2007 in the financial crisis. And in the aftermath, lending really came to a complete stop for a number of years. It did. Yeah. The, the good news is, is that lending has resumed as banks have, uh, you know, a greater incentive to loan out reserves. 
at slightly higher interest rates. And, you know, this increased flow of additional credit will usually boost economic growth, which, you know, could lead to more inflation, further rate increases. So it really is a delicate balance. Um, you know, if the Fed can continually raise rates, you know, very slowly, then it actually has a stimulative effect on the economy through more lending. So, um, you know, if they do it the right way, and it has been slow. It's been very, very slow. There hasn't been really too many surprises out there. They've done a good job of signaling for the most part. So we'll see what happens going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And another benefit is obviously more income for retirees. Um, you know, as the, the rate boost brings better returns to savings vehicles, senior citizens out there, they should enjoy better paydays as they tend to have more of their money in CDs and savings accounts. Higher interest rates on CDs and other financial instruments will particularly help older Americans that are trying to live on their retirement savings. And as the population ages in coming years and as more Americans um, we'll, we'll come to, uh, put more money in, uh, fixed income investments. Then we're going to see, you know, these modest increases in interest rates will help them, um, with their income and that higher interest rates also should increase spending, which will serve to further stimulate the economy. So there's kind of a double benefit there from the income side for retirees. Another benefit is a stronger dollar, John. I mean, you know, if you travel internationally in the dollar strong, then your dollars can buy more, right? And also um, imports are cheaper. So, I mean, everybody loves a bargain, right? And a strong dollar in the U.S. has meant that significant savings for Americans heading abroad because it gives U.S. travelers more buying power. Predicting moves in foreign exchange market, however, is very difficult. Um, and economists say that the dollar could strengthen you know, as the Fed boosts rates, but it hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen that. Um, the dollar's been mostly weakening lately <clears throat> as other countries are kind of hitting the growth phase of the recovery, and the U.S. is perceived to be closer to kind of a mature uh, phase of their cycle in the economic cycle. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, there are many factors that go into the strength of the dollar, so it's impossible to predict with any accuracy what the dollar will do but the potential is there for a stronger dollar with higher interest rates. Yeah, that's right. Another thing we may see, see Steve, is stocks may trade more on fundamentals, and they may actually see cash inflows. Um, so as the Federal Reserve embarks on what the officials have called normalization, that is kind of backing away from some of the, the low, low rates um, that they've had in the past, stock prices may start to make more sense and not really reflect um, the central banks easing monetary po policy quite as much. And that also means that there could be a flight out of bonds to stocks as the bond returns continue to weaken as interest rates rise. So uh, higher flows of cash into stocks, you know, would likely drive stocks higher again, but it's a delicate balance. I mean, if they, if they raise rates too rapidly, it's probably going to hurt stock prices, but you know, a slow predictable rise um, would possibly make stocks more attractive because bonds are, are you know struggling? They're losing a little bit of value as the rates increase. So that's, um, right. that's an interesting kind of take on helping the stock market. You know, but at some point it it does balance and it does normal normalize out. It does, it does. And however, though, if the Fed raises rates unexpectedly or very rapidly, that tends to have a negative effect on the stock market. Um, kind of like we saw in <clears throat> February of '94. Sure, you remember that like it was yesterday, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Fed did a quick half point increase, unexpected. 
market took like a 10% drop almost immediately. Oh, so, <laughs> you know, it can happen. Um, you know, a shock to the system would, would definitely hurt the uh, stock market. So it's a delicate balancing act. The last benefit here that we'll look at is, you know, home buyers may get off the fence. And this is one you probably haven't thought of. But, you know, as the Fed continues to raise rates, higher mortgage rates eventually will follow if history's any guide. And that hasn't really happened much yet. Interest rates have, for mortgages have, and long-term rates have stayed pretty flat. Um, the prospect, though, of higher mortgage rates will likely compel many purchasers that are sitting on the fence to go ahead and buy a home sooner rather than later. You know, it's difficult to put off a purchase if you believe rates will be an entire 1% higher next year. And that's the prospect we're facing this coming year. So home buyers that are kind of fence sitters right now will likely get motivated this spring. And we should see stronger home sales in 2018 as a result. So there is a possible short-term side benefit from rising rates for, for home, home buying. So the answer to is it good or bad is yes. Yes, it is both. You're right. <laughs> it depends on where you are. Depends on where you're hanging out. Where you're hanging out with interest rates and savings and investments. That's right. Okay, and that leads us up here to the question of the week. Yeah, I've had this question quite a few times over the last couple of weeks from uh, various clients. So I thought I'd you know bring it on the show and uh, kind of talk about it. It says, you know, stock market's done really well lately. Should I sell um, my stocks and buy bonds and go more conservative? And yep. if you read kind of between the lines there, it basically is saying, hey, the market's high and, you know, should we should we go more conservative because it's going to go down at some point? Should we time it a little bit? Time it. That's right. That's the underlying concept yeah. under that. And and so the, the discussion is, is, well, we picked an allocation initially. Maybe it's 50% in bonds and 50% in stocks. And the stocks have done well. But one of the things that, that you can do to take some of the risk off the table is maybe do rebalancing. So, right. you know, there's some funds last year that made 20 or 30%. Maybe you should sell a little piece of those, which we do and put them into the bonds to get it back into tolerance. So right. the general answer is, is no, stay in your allocation. Um, we don't know where the markets are going to go from here. They could go down, but they could also continue to go up. Yeah, as long as you have at least five or 10 years, you know, time horizon um, that you can ride out the ups and downs, I definitely would not go more conservative just because the market's high because you don't know when this is going to turn. And we get this question all the time mm-hmm. here recently. And, uh, you know, people always kind of justify it that they don't, they're not trying to time the market. They're just, you know, their situations change, they're getting older and they have a shorter time horizon, but they may still have 10 years Mm -hmm. and and they're thinking this thought of I'll go more conservative, then I'll go back more aggressive when, when the market's down. Doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) So resist that temptation, but do take a a good, healthy look at your allocation and make Mm -hmm. sure that you're in the proper allocation for your long-term future. Yep. So great question. All right, and that leads us up here to our next topic, why working past 65 can be doubly rewarding. Yeah, this is from uh, Jerry Golden. He is the president at Golden Advisors, and a pretty good topic here. You know, aside from making an easier transition, the financial benefits of stretching out your working life with some part-time work or maybe a lower-stress job after you retire can, can really add up. And, um, you know, you definitely need to create a plan to manage your investment assets, but Um, You know, you also got to think about, you know, when you go into that retirement zone, you got to look at your other assets and your resources. You got your house, um, you know, you may have a pension, um, but you also have may have the ability to work and um, bring some extra income in. I have two clients that comes to mind. One of them retired, has a pension, plenty of money, and they are um, delivering flowers. 
because hmm. they enjoy the reaction they get. Yeah, um, that's fun. It really is. I that like that. Be. And another one that uh, you know just comes to mind is he's good with guns, retired, and now he's um, he's a CWP trainer, certified um, you know weapons, you know concealed yeah. weapons um, trainer. So you can do a lot of different things. And you know when you when you're age sixty five, you've worked forty years, you've amassed the savings um, that can finance your retirement. For many people, that amount plus Social Security might be enough to replace sixty or seventy percent of your income. Um, but you know, for other people, it may be you may be forced to downsize or change some things. But there are some some options here. Yeah. So, what if you could find satisfying work, either full time or part time, for the next say five years? Um, you might be able to retire on say eighty to ninety percent of your final pay instead of that sixty percent that that uh, you might be looking at currently. In addition, you might be able to explore a field that you've always been interested in, you know, meet a new associate at work or just keep your, your mind active, you know, while delaying your Social Security and your pension and letting those increase by 7 or 8% per year. Yeah, so yeah. it can be very rewarding if you can push it out a few years. Absolutely. And, you know, the benefits both financially and emotionally um, for those last handful of working years really is tremendous. And so when you look at the financial benefits, you know, you continue to receive uh, a salary, compensation, maybe consulting fees. Um, you know, if you can delay Social Security, perhaps to age 67 or even 70, um, the government adds about 8% to your annual payments, um, you know, each year that you delay um, that. So if you can go from 67 up to, to 70, it's going to be 30% roughly. I mean, that's a big number. That's a real big number. And that also, you know, if, if it's a, if it's a higher social security amount than your spouse, then when you pass away, if you pass away first, then your spouse would get that higher number as well. So it gives them some longevity, you know, protection as well. So, absolutely. you know, by generating cash flow from your work, you can um, delay the drawdown of your retirement savings, um, you know, as well, which can mean another 25 to 30% of income, as well. So very, very positive from a financial standpoint. Yeah. And during those earning years, you can also contribute, continue to contribute to your 401k or other, you know, IRA vehicles out there. Um, and using the catch-up provision, you might be able to um, add an extra $6,000 a year to your 401k, you know, and adding that to your existing retirement savings will provide a huge boost to <clears throat> in income you know, down the road. So there's opportunities on both ends to mm-hmm. help yourself with, with more savings and delaying Social Security and pensions and letting those grow. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Steve, for some people, um, you know, maybe someone's laid off from a job. Um, they may need to work. They may have to, to work. And and so the new job, the new part-time job may not pay you quite as much as you used to. Um, and you got to stretch your income a little bit further. Um, but this is where you know, retirement income planning comes in. It's really looking at your different resources. And if you need an X amount of dollars, you know, what resources do you have to provide that? One of the conversations that, that, um, that is in this article, and I'll be honest, we don't, we don't talk about this too much. I certainly don't recommend it, but reverse mortgages is a way to make up that shortfall. Um, they're, it's basically taking the equity out of your home. Now you have to be a certain age and you have to have the house paid off. Um, so, you know, it is a source of income. Not many of, I don't know of any of my clients that, that use a reverse mortgage, but we, I mean, we have talked about it. I've talked about it with a couple as an option in, 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 in a dire case, but, um, you got to really do some income planning to make sure you understand where your assets are. That's right. Yeah. I think that one's kind of a last, last, last resort, case, last resort. Yep. Um, but there are a lot of options to look at, um, 
you know, you might have options to turn your savings into income. Um, one option is, is maybe an annuity. Um, but those do have pros and cons. It might not be right for, for every situation for sure. Um, you can also generate income from a portfolio made up of stocks and bonds, you know, like we talk about a lot of times here mm-hmm. on our podcast by diversifying and uh, just creating an income strategy out of that every month. But, you know, the fact is filling that income gap will be a key question that you have to answer and you have to be prepared for with an income plan as part of your overall retirement plan. Yeah, that's really key. I mean, I think we do a great job of kind of tying people's resources in and kind of giving them a picture of where their income is going to come from. So that's very, very important. You know, another question we get is, well, who would hire me at this age? And, um, you know, there's a lot of different options. If you, if you have to work, it's a little bit different situation. But if you, um, if you have a hobby, if you're good at something, guns or, um, whatever the hobby is, woodworking, you can turn that, um, skill, you know, into income. And so I wouldn't worry too much about whether or not you're employable. Economy's good right now. There's a lot of hiring. There are a lot of people that are hiring out there. So don't let that hold you back. That's right. Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of opportunities for kind of the mobile workplace as well. Um, as more companies accept, you know, the kind of the work from home model and a shortened shorter work week, um, there will be increasing demand for knowledge workers to kind of fill the void. In addition, with low unemployment rates in general that we're seeing today, finding full time replacements is very difficult. So a lot of companies do look for part time folks to mm-hmm. to fill those gaps. And this unique, this offers a unique opportunity for retirees to start their second career without having the demands of a full-time job, full-time hours, and having to commute by working remotely, maybe from home. Yeah, and so the the last point here, Steve, is is take your time. I mean, one of the best things about working past traditional retirement age is time. If you feel like you haven't saved enough, um, you know, you do have time to make it up. If you if you haven't worked out all the details, though. It's very important to go through and, and do a retirement plan that specifically looks at income. Where's your income going to come from? So you don't have to rush into these decisions because you, you've stopped working and your income's about to fall off a cliff. Um, instead, you know, you can give yourself an opportunity to create, you know, additional income and actually improve your financial situation. And we have a lot of folks that are retiring in this area and around the nation and, um, the, one of the biggest questions they have is, is how much income can I have in retirement? And right. I think we, we really specialize in figuring that out and helping people make those decisions. So, you know, if you have questions about your specific situation or you know someone that does, we'll be more than happy to sit down with them and, and uh, kind of walk through their details. Absolutely. Yeah. Give us a call or shoot us an email. That's right. And that leads us up here to our final item, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so this has to do with rebalancing. We talked about it a little bit on the question of the week, but um, review your asset allocation. Steve, last year, um, markets did very, very well. There were some asset classes that were up you know, 25 or 30%. Um, maybe a, a time to, to take a little piece of that off and, and go put it into something that's um, underperformed. Like if you have bonds in the portfolio, they haven't gone up as much as stocks. So that rebalancing is important. You can do it quarterly. You can do it annually. Um, you can do it based on percentages. But you really ought to do it because what we have seen historically, if you go back in, you know, 2003 to 2007, you know, five years, markets went way up and people didn't rebalance. And when the markets went down, a lot of people didn't have the right allocation. That's right. And they got burned. That's right. And that really happened during the tech boom. Mm-hmm, that, people right. were really loaded up in tech stocks back in, in 2000 and 2002. 
and really got hurt as those dropped. So, yeah, you need to rebalance, and we have a, a very disciplined system for that, you know, with the accounts that we manage here. But, you know, you need to have that at, at your employer, your 401K plan. Mm-hmm. A lot of those do have automatic rebalancing, and you need to sign up for that. Um, you need to take a look at it yourself if you don't, and um, just make sure that you, you keep it diversified and you take a little bit of the stocks off the table, get back to the right 60%, 80%, whatever it was, that you have in equities, and put the rest back in bonds and uh, take a little bit off the table and, and, you know, keep yourself in the right risk level. At the same time, you need to evaluate your risk level. You know, as you do get older, your risk level changes, and, um, you know, now would certainly not be a bad time to do that. We've had a couple good years in the market. Um, has nothing to do with timing. It's more about looking at your overall situation and just making sure you're allocated at the right risk level for the long term for mm-hmm. your next five or 10 years. So uh, take a look at that. That's a great prescription of the week. All right. That brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Do tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Smart Investor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.